Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. How you guys doing? Trying to throw a little intro onto these things now and uh, do things a little different. I had had some music I got to redo and see if you guys like that as, during the reading, uh, if that worked for you or not. Okay, so because of time, I've been cutting out the dad jokes. If you really, really, really like them, let me know. Maybe I'll try and work them back in. But uh, here's one because my daughter, uh, <laughs> well, it has nothing to do with her, but I just I came across it because it has to do with marriage in general. Um, I thought it was funny. Anyway, uh, where do rabbits go after they get married? On a bunny moon. (laughs) Of course, that's where they go. All right, now we're ready uh, to get going in Job 28 and 29, if you guys will find your place a little bit in Matthew as well in 13. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. Ask your blessing, as always, on this time that we get to spend with you. Um, Guide us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Job chapter 28. This is a fascinating book. I hope you guys are finding it to be so. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold. Iron is taken from the dust and copper is smelted from rock. Man puts an end to darkness, and to the farthest limit he searches out the rock in gloom and deep shadow. He sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing to and fro far from men, the earth. From it comes food, and underneath it is turned up as fire. Its rocks are a source of sapphires, and its dust contains gold. The path no bird of prey knows, nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of it. The proud beasts do not trodden in it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the mountains at the base. He hews out channels through the rocks. And his eyes sees anything precious. He dams up the streams from flowing, and what is hidden he brings out to the light. Verse 12. But where can wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me, and the sea says, it is not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from, and where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, 
With our ears, we have heard a report of it. Gold understands its way, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure, when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then he sought and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Chapter 29. And Job again took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in months gone by, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone over my head, and by his sight I walked through darkness. As I was in the prime of my days, when the friendship of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, and my children were around me, when my steps were bathed in butter, and the rock poured out for me streams of oil, when I went out to the gate of the city and took my seat in the square, the young men saw me and hid themselves The old men arose and stood. The princes stopped talking and put their hands on their mouths. The voice of the nobles was hushed, and their tongue stuck to their palate. And when the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw, it gave witness of me, because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me, and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. Verse 14, I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I investigated the case which I did not know. I broke the jaws of the wicked and snatched the prey from his teeth. Then I thought, I shall die in my nest, and I shall multiply my days as the sand. My root is spread out to the waters, and dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is ever new with me, and my bow is renewed in my hand. Verse 21, to me they listened and waited and kept silent for my counsel. After my words, they did not speak again, and my speech dropped on them. They waited for me as for the rain, and opened their mouths as for the spring rain. I smiled on them when they did not believe, and the light of my face they did not cast down. I chose a way for them, and sat as chief, and dwelt as a king among the troops, as one who comforted the mourners. Chapter 30 But now those younger than I mock me, whose fathers I disdained to put with the dogs of my flock. Indeed, what good was the strength of their hands to me? Vigorous perished from them. For want and famine they are gaunt, who gnaw the dry ground by night in waste and desolation, who pluck mallow by the bushes, and whose food is the root of the broom shrub. They are driven from the community. They shout against them as against a thief." So that they dwell in dreadful valleys, in holes of the earth and in the rocks. Among the bushes they grow out, under the nettles 
they are gathered together. Fools, even those without a name, they are scourged from the land. And now I have become their taunt. I have even become a byword to them. They abhor me and stand aloof from me. And they do not refrain from spitting at my face because he has loosened his bowstring and afflicted me. They have cast off the bridle before me. On the right hand, their brood arises. They thrust aside my feet and build up against me their ways of destruction. They break up my path. They profit from my destruction. No one restrains them. Verse 14, as though a wide breach, they come. Amid the tempest, they roll. Terrors are turned against me. They pursue my honor as the wind. And my prosperity has passed away like a cloud. And now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have seized me. At night, it pierces my bones within me. And my gnawing pains take no rest. By a great force, my garment is distorted. It binds me about as a collar of my coat. He has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you for help, but you do not answer me. I stand up, and you turn your attention against me. You have become cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. You lift me up to the wind and cause me to ride, and you dissolve me like a storm, for I know that you will bring me to death and to the house of meeting uh, for all living. Yet does not one in a heap of ruins stretch out his hand, or in his disaster therefore cry out for help? Have I not wept for the one whose life is hard? Was not my soul grieved for the needy? When I expected good, then evil came. When I waited for light, then darkness came. I am seething within and cannot relax. Days of affliction comfort me. I go about mourning without comfort. I stand up in the assembly and cry out for help. I have become a brother to jackals and a companion of ostriches. My skin turns black on me and my bones burn with fever. Therefore, my harp is turned to mourning and my flute to the sound of those who weep. When I was reading that, I was reminded of Habakkuk, of how he, on the rampart, looking out and seeing the enemy and seeing the destruction and everything that had been going on around Israel. And, and, he, and he cries out to God and says, Why, God, why do the, righteous, do the unrighteous, to the wicked, why do the wicked prevail? Why do they seem to be blessed while the righteous suffer and Israel's suffering. This is what Job is doing. And um, it's a human nature. It's human nature for us to question. It's a human trait to think that if something's going bad, it's because God is the one who is, who is turned against us. So Job says, you've turned against me. And God did not turn against Job. He was championing Job. He was Job's champion. He was simply allowing Job to be used for his kingdom. And it was a painful way to be used, but he was being used. 
And I take away from this, again, because we have the benefit of living after the cross. We have the benefit of the entire Bible, the entire counsel of God's word, to know that God will never abandon us. He will never leave us or forsake us. We may face persecution. In fact, Jesus said, you can kind of count on it. You know, in this world, there's, you're going to have tribulations. Job was a specific instance, but that doesn't mean that God does not allow these things to happen in our life so that we would learn. We would learn how to trust him. We would learn that this world is not what it's all about anyway. You think about the martyrs. You think about people that have made us down. I was just looking at a news article in Africa where the Muslims have come into these villages and say either, uh, you know, turn to Islam or we're going to kill you right here on the spot. And uh, the one, uh, I can't remember the country, it was Cameroon where it was, but the majority of the villagers said, okay, and they turned to Islam. But, you know, a forced conversion like that, it's uh, not exactly from the heart. There are Christians that have said, no, I'm not. And they're killed on the spot, or they kill their family before their eyes. Things so horrible, we can't even imagine. Where's God in all that? He's still on the throne. He's still there. He still has a plan. And what the overwhelming evidence is, is that we're children of the kingdom. And Jesus has set all this up and has come to Bear our sin on the cross so that we can be with him in his kingdom for eternity in better bodies, in perfect bodies, in a better environment, sinless environment, perfect. Not a fairy tale, not a myth, but reality. And so we put everything in that, in that light, in that perspective. And then we know, okay, even if I have cancer, even if I'm dying, God is still being glorified, and he's still on the throne. He's still my Lord, and he still loves me. And so we can't not, we will emotionally get to the point and say, why God? Why are you doing this to me? This is human nature. We know that this is what we end up doing. Why me? Why now? But ultimately, you see how Job is working through all of this. He goes back and he says, look, this is what I understand about God. And I'm understanding that there is wisdom in this world, that there is wisdom, that wisdom is something to be achieved. If you can kind of put this together, Job is a lot of times speaking to himself. And he's understanding that the wisdom that God can give us is more precious than gold and silver. It is is something that is otherworldly. It cannot be bought, cannot be just... Uh, thought and said, I, I want wisdom. I'm gaining wisdom right now. The wisdom that we gain is to understand how Job, I mean, what Job is going to come to is, is wisdom in the end. He's going to go, okay. I, I mean, he thinks this, but it's got to come to a reality. Naked I came into the world, naked shall I return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. No matter what happens to me, I am not going to turn my back on him. I'm not going to curse God. I'm going to believe that he's still good. And this comes from wisdom, wisdom in my own little simple mind is knowledge applied 
the right knowledge applied the right way at the right time. That's to me is wisdom. And he's going to apply the right knowledge that God is good. He's, he's overwhelmingly good, even though he's suffering. And he's going to do it at the right time in the right way. He's going to say, okay, no matter what you say, my friends, my wife, anybody else, no, I'm, I don't have the answers yet, but wisdom, faith, understanding of God is telling me I'm not going to curse him. I'm not going to turn my back on him. So we can take heart and take away from that, that we have hope always in every situation. Now, Matthew 13, first 30 verses, says this. That day Jesus went out from the house and was sitting by the sea. And large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and he sowed some, and some seeds fell beside the road, and birds came and ate them. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. And when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns. And the thorns came up and choked them out. Others fell on good soil and yielded a crop. Some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. For whoever has to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. But the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Verse 18. So then the parable of the sower, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. The one whom the seed was sown on rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one in whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Verse 23, And the one on whom the seed was sown on good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. 
24, and Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Why then does it have tares? And he said to them, The enemy has done this. And the slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? He said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares, bind them in bundles and burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Boy, there's a whole bunch there in Matthew 13 we could um, spend a lot of time on. Not a theologian, so I'll give you my, my best take on it. Let's remember that Jesus has healed the man with the withered hand. He has speaking been speaking to the Pharisees that they would be judged, that more blessed would be Sodom <laughs> than, than a Bethsaida or those places where he had done these miracles and they had seen, they had seen him do the miracles and understood. I mean, the people were to understand that he came from God. But he's telling them and these leaders that unless they realized that he was deity, that he was doing these works by the Holy Spirit, the power of God from heaven, then they would be cursed. And they did not want to receive it. They, in my opinion, with their free will, chose to not believe it because they had Abraham, their father, and they believed in the law, and they had come under a very strict mindset of what they thought the Messiah would be. And so we go into Matthew 13 with that kind of a mindset. So when you're looking at all this that is going on, you're starting to see Jesus talk about those who would receive him and not receive him. And it's not that Jesus is saying, hey, um, I'm deciding to, to hold back the right information to let these people get saved. I'm deciding, I'm gonna cover everything up with parables so nobody can understand it. And I'm just gonna choose a few people. It's take the other perspective of it. The other perspective of it in what he says is that they had hardened their hearts and they chose not to receive the the understanding of the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah and who he would be. Because if they were able, if they chose to believe the prophets and everything that they said about the coming of the Messiah, then they would hear, they would receive, they would be saved. But they chose not to. So Jesus is speaking in these parables in a way that paints a truth that's very easy to understand when you have it in the context of the Messiah and the word of God bringing life to us. The seed on the good soil. The good soil is the heart that's prepared. Jesus said that. Prepared by the prophets and the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. They understand we're looking for a suffering servant and Messiah that's going to come in our place and you have Daniel, the prophecy, you have Zechariah, you have, you, have, you have Jeremiah, you have different prophecies. Joel talks about, um, I think it's Joel, it talks about it. And those hearts would be the good soil prepared, ready to receive it. And then they receive it and they bear fruit. 
hey, you are the Messiah. We do believe you. The, you know, the, even the centurion, that kind of faith, saying, just say the word. I know your deity. I know you have power over all things. They didn't want to. So there were those that wanted to see miracles and see Jesus do stuff and help them out and give them free food and bread. And, you know, those were the, they were happy to believe those are the seeds on those kind of the rocky soil and the, and the sun comes up, and whatever, snatches it away. If I got the right analogy, um, they don't last. And then the hard hearts, the Pharisees, man, they didn't, they didn't, the seed is falling on dry ground. They don't want to receive any of this. And so this is Jesus looking at giving the understanding to the, to the disciples that I'm speaking in a way, and I'm a, and this is just a guess on my part that he wants he wants the the truth spoken in a way where it comes out and touches the heart. And brings people a deeper understanding without exposing directly at that moment him saying directly, verbally, I am God, I've come out of heaven for you people. Because that kind of knowledge was, number one, overwhelming, to, to in one sense, hard to understand. But number two, would bring him all the more quickly under the persecution of the Pharisees. He, he kept saying, my time is not yet, don't say this, don't reveal this. He was he had a plan and he had he was doing things according to a timetable of prophecy. And so there's many reasons why these things were veiled as they were, but they weren't veiled for the sole purpose of trying to keep people from understanding. He wanted them to understand. That's why he's going out and preaching. He wants them to understand. But their own hearts were preventing them. And so the way he's speaking in these parables is opening up the hearts of people to get the and the common people as well using these these illustrations of simple illustrations people understood of planting they were they were farmers they could understand this so don't misconstrue what he's saying there as many people have all right charles spurgeon if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the lord jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that god hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved romans 9 10 one of my favorite verses in the Bible. There must be confession with the mouth. Have I made it? Have I openly allowed my faith in Jesus as the Savior whom God has raised from the dead? And have I done it in God's way? Let me honestly answer this question. There must also be belief in the heart. Do I sincerely believe in the risen Lord Jesus? Do I trust in him as my sole hope of salvation? Is this trust from my heart? Let me answer as before God. If I can truly claim that I have both confessed Jesus and believed in him, then I am saved. The text does not say it may be so, but it is plain as a pikestaff and clear as the sun in the heavens. Thou shalt be saved. As a believer and a confessor, I may lay my hand on this promise and plead it before the Lord God at this moment and throughout life and in the hour of death and at the day of judgment. I must be saved from the guilt of sin, the power of sin, the punishment of sin, and ultimately from the very being of sin. God hath said it. 
Thou shalt be saved. I believe it. I shall be saved. I am saved. Glory be to God forever and ever. You are saved by the power of God. It's as evident as your pike staff. <laughs> I guess those are the long, long pikes they used in battles. I am always amazed at his, his mastery of the English language and my, um, yeah, my lack of it. But be that as it may, there is the very strong affirmation here in, in Romans that we're saved by um, our belief and our confession, which again speaks to me of free will. Uh, if there's no free will, then don't have to confess them. I'm already saved. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, let's go ahead and, and pray. Thank you so much, Father, for the gift that you have given us of salvation through faith. And we do believe and we understand that you have even given us the ability for that. As you have made us free moral agents, we know that you work together with us and that you are an amazing, amazing, powerful God. And that you have, God, moved us in a way where we can now understand your parables. These things have not been hidden from us because we have hungered and thirsted for you. And you have called us and asked us that if whoever would call upon you, whoever thirsts for life, if we would come to you, you would give us the water of life. Even in that, Father, we understand the parabolic meaning that you are the source of all the living and all that is alive, that you give life as water gives life. So we thank you and we praise you that this day we can continue to take you in through the eye gate, through the ear gate. We can listen, we can hear your word, and we can rejoice and be glad. We thank you for your love for us and all that you're doing in our lives. And a special prayer for those that are now recovering from various surgeries and those that are going into them and those that are um, also looking looking at changes in their life as far as their job goes or their house, their living situation, going to college, different places. God, um, keep us focused, especially those in school. We just see, I've been hearing so many horrible things. What the school system is doing is is just anything, nothing short of communist indoctrination in so many ways. So, God, we pray that our young people or anyone returning to, to any type of formal education would first and foremost, God, receive their instruction from you and that they would be students of the word and so that they have their shields of faith up, God. So bless them in, in their endeavors to get educated. But God, don't allow that world system and the evil one to steal away and rob the precious seed of faith and the, and the beauty of, of seeing you produce fruit through our lives. So thank you for that, God. And uh, just thank you for all that you're going to be doing this week in church and uh, getting ready for the conference coming up. Thank you for the many, many things that you're continuing to do this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you guys once again. And I have seen a, a few people pop up new. Thank you guys for joining us. And uh, we do encourage you to subscribe on whatever you're listening or watching on and let other people know so we can continue to grow our family here. And But more than anything, be encouraged 
and be growing spiritually. This is the this is the the goal. This is the end the end game to grow ever more in the Lord and, and be established and put our roots down deep. And for those that don't know Him, to completely find the truth of Romans ten nine. I mean, to completely confess Him and know that He is Lord and know without a doubt that they're saved. So thank you guys. It is a ministry. You can partake in it. We want you to be in involved with us in it. So um, be sharing this with other people and let I invite them to join us. Okay, we will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.